In Milan, Augustine moved in a circle of intellectuals who thought of themselves as participants in a renaissance of philosophy. The work of the Platonic philosopher Plotinus, who lived from 205 to 270, a man, and I quote here, so close to his master that in him Plato seemed to live again. As Peter Brown said in the book Augustine of Hippo, written in 1967, that Plotinus had been responsible for the birth of Neoplatonism. Plotinus' editor, the brilliant Porphyry, noted also for his attack on the genuineness of Daniel's prophecies, was highly thought of by Augustine. For the latter, Porphyry was Doctissimus and the most notable pagan philosopher. Porphyry's popular work, The Return to Heaven of the Soul, may be taken, Peter Brown tells us, as a motto of religious life in Milan. Augustine's intellectual colleagues and his mentor in the faith, Bishop Ambrose, added a strongly Neoplatonic dimension to Augustine's developing thought. Fifty years earlier, an African professor of rhetoric, Victorianus, had become a member of the church and translated the works of Plotinus and other Neoplatonic writings into Latin. Victorianus had also influenced Simplicianus, whom Peter Brown described as, and I quote, the eminence grise of a most audacious attempt to combine Platonism with Christianity. Simplicianus was the spiritual father of Ambrose. Augustine gave himself to a prolonged reading of Plotinus and Porphyry, whose philosophy became, and here's a quotation, grafted almost imperceptibly into Augustine's writings as the ever-present basis of his thought. The Neoplatonic atmosphere in which Augustine ministered was as fundamental to his age as the idea of evolution is to our own. His reading of Scripture was not surprisingly coloured by his Platonic presuppositions. There was a precedent for this fusion of philosophy with the Bible since the time of Justin Martyr and the theologians of the Alexandrian school, it had been customary to transfer the Logos of the Platonic system to the Logos of John 1 verse 1, with dramatic and disastrous results for the development of orthodox so-called Christology. Augustine therefore found no unbridgeable gap between his Platonism and traditional Catholic teaching. In talking philosophy, he had in fact unwittingly been talking orthodox theology. The phenomenon of an explicit Platonist influence in Augustine is widely recognized. In his confessions, he had spoken of his interest in, and a quotation here, certain books of the Platonists, translated from Greek to Latin. Clearly, Augustine's involvement with Scripture modified his Platonism, yet it is fair to ask whether, despite his conversion, 
his view of anthropology may not have remained under the powerful influence of the earlier contributions to his formation. In St. Augustine's early theory of man, Robert J. O'Connell notes that Augustine came to the reading of Plotinus with an affectivity already polarized by years of Manichaeism. The Manichaic view of the soul's imprisonment in body, of sexual procreation as the darkest of sins because it perpetuated that imprisonment, was not exactly calculated to smooth his relationships with either his mother or the mother of his son. Nor was it designed to alienate him from the early Plotinus's devaluation of both body and sense. More than that, these were the very features of Neoplatonism with which Ambrose's preaching was most likely to resonate. Basic to Plotinus' system of thought was the notion that the soul occupied a middle or mid-rank position between the material and sensual and the spiritual trinity of the one, the nous or mind, and the world soul. The soul of man, by becoming entangled in the things of the body and the world of sense, fell away from this so-called trinity. It could find a path back to mystical union with the one through enlightenment and denial of all sensual experience. There are a number of striking parallels between the language of Plotinus and Augustine, of which we quote one. Plotinus said, The fatherland to us is there whence we have come, and there is the father. What then is our course? What the manner of our flight? This is not a journey for our feet. The feet bring us only from land to land, nor need you think of coach or ship to carry you away. All this order of things you must set aside and refuse to see. You must close the eyes and call instead upon another vision which is to be awaked in you. And Augustine said this, compare this carefully with Plotinus. Augustine said, For it is not by our feet, or by change of place that we either turn from thee or return to thee. Or indeed, did that younger son look away with visible wings or journey by the motion of his wings? But unknown to me, you soothed my head and closed my eyes so that they should not look upon vain phantoms, and I became drowsy and slept away my madness. And I woke in thee and saw thee, and this sight was not derived from the flesh. That's from Augustine's Confessions. O'Connell's examination of the very extraordinary parallels between Augustine and Neoplatonism is summed up in the foreword to his book. He says, The theory that Augustine developed centered on the notion that man is a fallen soul who turned away from the divine beauty and plunged from a state of contemplative bliss 
into the world of body, time, and action. In Plotinus, Iniads, Augustine discovered the most comprehensive framework for such a concept. Father O'Connell approaches Augustine through Plotinus in order to demonstrate that the Plotinian frame furnished the matrix for the elements of Christianity, which the young Augustine was attempting to understand. He presents convincing evidence to show that Augustine's tendency to undervalue such human concerns as sex and love, culture, art, and scientific research arises not directly from the Christian message, but from that message as passed through a Platinian filter. It is clear that Augustine is not a Platonist to court, just like that. He accepted the doctrine of the resurrection, which would have made no sense to Plato. Yet D.R.G. Owen, in his book Body and Soul, finds in both Gregory of Nyssa and Augustine traces of Orphism, the ancient Greek religion which provided the roots of the Platonistic dualism of good soul and evil body. Thus Owen says of the Christian Platonists, including Augustine, that they wavered between a materialism which was closer to the biblical position and a false spirituality that was derived from their knowledge and love for Greek philosophy. That's from the book Body and Soul, a study of the Christian view of man. It is important that this distorting tendency in Augustine's theology be recognized. Norman Snaith, in his book, The Distinctive Ideas of the Old Testament, complains, and I quote, traditional Christianity has sought to find a middle way combining Zion and Greece into what is held to be a harmonious synthesis. The New Testament has been interpreted according to Plato and Aristotle, and the distinctive Old Testament ideas have been left out of account. The wholly non-biblical idea of the immortality of the soul is accepted largely as a characteristic Christian doctrine. We hold that those who adopt this method of interpretation should realize what it is they are doing and should cease to maintain that they are basing their theology on the Bible. That's a quotation from Norman Snaith, The Distinctive Ideas of the Old Testament, written in 1955. I want to suggest, then, that the effect of Augustine's low estimate of the flesh led him to devalue things which Scripture approves as part of God's gracious gifts to man. An ascetic tendency has infected much American piety, as demonstrated, for example, by absolute prohibition of alcohol and dancing, accompanied in some quarters by very questionable attempts to justify this by the Bible. Again, the popular language about going to heaven when we die reminds us of what Peter Brown calls the motto of the Platonists at Milan, one of whose leaders wrote of his deceased sister that, 
she loved the road that led to heaven. Is this the language of Jesus, who speaks constantly of entering the kingdom of God at the Parousia? Or is this the legacy of a new reading of the Bible in the language of Neoplatonism? We might also ask whether the doctrine of the survival of the soul in the so-called intermediate state has not effectively consumed, in the minds of many, the biblical eschatological hope for the resurrection and the return of Jesus as Messiah and ruler of the kingdom. Augustine is largely responsible for the suppression of millennialism or chiliasm. While we may understand his objection to a carnal so-called view of the millennium, his efforts to do away with the plain meaning of Revelation 20 seem to reflect his unhappiness with a future state of glory to be enjoyed in connection with the earth. Augustine reinterprets the future rule of the saints dependent upon the parousia as the present inter-advent so-called rule of the church and the saints in heaven. Now, Peake's commentary will reflect the misgivings which he had about Augustine's treatment held still by many. Since the time, starting the quote, right? Yep. All right. Since the time of Augustine, an effort has been made to allegorize the statements of Revelation 20 and apply them to the history of the church. The binding of Satan refers to the binding of the strong man foretold by Christ. The thousand years is not to be construed literally, but represents the whole history of the church from the incarnation to the final conflict. The reign of the saints is a prophecy of the domination of the world now by the church. The first resurrection is metaphorical and simply refers to the spiritual resurrection of the believer in Christ. But exegesis of this kind is dishonest trifling. To put such an interpretation on the phrase first resurrection is simply playing with terms. If we explain away the obvious meaning of the words, then, as Henry Alford rightly says, there's an end of all significance in language and scripture is wiped out as a definite testimony to anything. It seems clear that Augustine's formation in Platonism strongly influenced his treatment of Scripture at certain crucial points of doctrine. As a loyal churchman, Augustine was limited by his Catholic heritage, which, in the so-called Church Fathers, had already assumed a measure of Platonic preconceptions. Despite Augustine's close involvement with the Bible, and the passion of his devotion, his ability to grasp Scripture's essentially Hebraic ways of thinking was limited especially in his understanding of the nature of man and eschatology and the Christian future. The influence was a strong Platonic bias which Augustine has passed on to often unsuspecting 
later generations. It should not go unnoticed that the areas in which Augustine fell for the alluring attraction of philosophy affect the Christian gospel itself, the gospel that is about the coming messianic kingdom on earth. Augustine's delight in the departure of the soul at death to heaven has all but eclipsed the biblical truth that Jesus offered his followers a place in the messianic kingdom which he plans to inaugurate when he returns to rule on earth. The millennium will be the first stage of that reign of Christ and the saints on the renewed earth.